before we get anywhere today, know this. God wants to do something in your life. Not actually because you've showed up at church today, but because you're alive. God wants to do something in your life. There's not a day of your life that goes by where God doesn't want to speak to you. Not one day, not one minute, not one second where God doesn't want to be involved. And so just as we come to his word today, I encourage you, just ask this, Lord, let me hear less of Tom and more of you. Because everything that I have to say is wrapped in frailty. Everything that I have to say has the potential for error. Everything that I have to say could be misleading. You need to hear the voice of the Lord. You need to hear the voice of the Good Father. You need to hear what he's saying into your life, speaking into your life. Far more than me. I mean, I need that. It's what I mean, but you need it far more than me. I'm all right. I'm okay. Well, we know that's oh, good. oh, thanks, Eddie. Wow, I love having Eddie here. No, genuinely, I do, Eddie. Songs of expectation. Songs of expectation. What expectation are we talking about? I'm expecting presents from all of you. At Christmas, every single one of you. Like, and if you don't bring a present, you're out. That's it. Church is over for you. It's a funny time of year, isn't it? Because you can feel this anticipation rise. And if you don't feel that in your own heart, Scrooge, um, if, you, if you don't feel that in your own heart, just look at the kids. It really winds me up that the first Christmas tree will go up in, like, I think October, I saw the first Christmas tree. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. But I have to confess that this year, for the first time ever, I put up the tree in November. <laughs> Please don't stone me. Okay. <laughs> the reason was, because I'm excited. The reason I'm excited is Jess and I have never owned a house before. And, and we're so grateful, and I'm so excited that I was like, that tree's going up. <laughs> so it's like, let's keep it all year round. It looks beautiful as well. What expectation? Well, the expectation in these songs is of something a little bit more significant than mulled wine and mince pies and presents and family being around and carols and things like that. There's a little bit more to it here. What they're expecting is a conquering king. Mm -hmm. Restoration of a kingdom that has been ravaged by Romans. Removal of the foreign powers and the domestic powers that shouldn't be in power but are King Herod. Their oppressors, their expectation is for this king to come along and restore what should have been the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus the Christ. I wonder what have you been expecting? Is there something that you've been expecting all your life? If only I had this, then this would be all right. Have you had that before? I have it pretty much every time I come up for my mobile phone renewal. <laughs> if only I had the next iPhone, everything would be fine. And I know it's not true, but I still get excited about it. You know what I'm talking about. Or the new car, that expectation, if only I just had that car, or that house, or that girl, or that boy, or that job, or that salary. The expectation. What have you been expecting all your life? Park that thought. I saw a t-shirt a while ago that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. (laughs) Jesus is coming, look busy. And I kind of, 
I had a half chuckle because I thought, well, that's kind of clever. But it really actually saddened me because it totally misunderstands something here. It completely misunderstands that it's not about doing. It's about what you believe. I know the Bible talks about not being caught asleep. There are, there are some real warnings in Scripture. Jesus gives warnings about not being caught asleep. But what the Bible's not talking about is just making sure that we're super busy doing everything in the church when Jesus returns. Like, let's just be lazy, let's just let the church just be church, and then when Jesus is coming, let's ramp it up and look really holy just to make out that we're ready for him. No, it's talking about belief. In other words, is there substance behind your church attendance? That's the challenge this morning. Is there substance behind your church attendance, behind your claim to be a Christian? I'm not knocking anyone's claim here, by the way. I'm just asking the question, and I ask it of myself as well. Is there substance behind who I say I am as a believer in Christ? Really, if you write one thing down, if you're a note-taker, this is it. Primary obedience is not about doing. Primary obedience is belief. In other words, your first job of obedience to God isn't about being busy. It's not about doing the right things or being the right kind of character. Your primary obedience is to believe. It's to believe. You could be a great character in the church, in the local community, busy, useful, seemingly effective, but would your words still stack up if your life depended upon it? Does your belief in Jesus form the bedrock, the foundation of your life? Many years ago, I had the, the sad privilege of meeting the mother of a girl who lost her life in a high school in America. And as the mother, through tears, was telling the story, speaking the testimony about what happened to her daughter, her daughter was shot several times, lay on the ground, dying, but still moving about and alive. There was another boy shot 16 times next to her. He was still alive, but he looked very much like he was dead. And as the gunman came over to the girl who was still moving, they asked her something like... I don't know the exact words here, but they asked us something about her faith. And from the account of the boy who survived, who was next to her, they thought he was dead, that's how he survived. From his account, she did not for one second consider saying, no, I'm not a Christian. If your life depended on it, that's the question. That's why primary mm-hmm. obedience is belief before doing. Mm-hmm. Because we can all do And we can do quite well. But is there something behind that? Belief then becomes the transforming force. Okay? Faith without any outworking evidence isn't really faith at all. So belief has to come first. But when we believe, the genuineness of our belief is marked by how we behave. So you can't really separate the two things. So so maybe Jesus is coming to look busy. But hey guys, just looking busy isn't going to fool anyone. Is, is the substance of your character based on your belief in who Jesus is? That's the challenge. And by confession, I'm not simply talking about saying I'm a Christian or I believe in God or even I believe in Jesus. I don't think that on its own is enough because I've heard comedians mocking and saying, you know, I believe in Jesus. They can clearly say it. It doesn't mean that the belief backs it up. 
Those things are easily said, but they don't really form what confession of faith is. Confession is speaking out of the utter core of all of your belief and all of your faith with both audible and non-audible communication. Uh, how many of you know this? That, that I think something like 93% of all of your communication is non-verbal. Your communication. A lot of what you say is without any words or guttural noises. That's actually quite amazing. How many of you guys, you'll know, go with me on this. How many of you guys know this phrase? It's not what you said. It's the way you said it. Yeah, I know I never got Come on, boys. I know you know what I'm talking about. It's not what you said. It's how you said it. Never heard it. Eddie, you lied. (laughs) If at the centre of yourself you don't truly believe, you'll easily be drawn to deny when persecution comes. Why is it that in persecuted countries where, where Christianity is, is a capital offence, why is it that the church seems to be exploding there? Whereas in the Western world, it seems to be dwindling. It seems to be struggling. Why? Why? They're getting killed for confessing with their non-verbal and their verbal communication. They're getting killed for it, and yet more people are getting saved. Mm-hmm. And the church is growing. Why is that? I think it's this. That... When you live in a persecuted environment, you're only going to say it if you mean it. You're only going to say it if you mean it. Please don't get me wrong this morning. I'm not wishing anyone to feel uncomfortably beaten up this morning. You know, there are, in every single church, in this land and in this world, there are people who claim to be genuine who are not. There are people who claim to be genuine who don't even know that they're not because they've never really been introduced to the living King of Kings, Jesus. I'm not beating them up. I'm just challenging you this morning. Is there substance behind what you believe? Because primary obedience isn't about doing. Primary obedience is about belief. So today we come to this song of Zechariah. That was a long introduction. I'm sure I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just rush through the whole message. We come to this song of Zechariah called the Benedictus. That's not actually a name that he gave it. It's the Latin for the first two words. Praise be. So it's a song of jubilation. It's a song of praise. You wonder why we started with some pretty crazy songs this morning. Like upbeat and let's get ourselves moving and clapping. It's because the whole message today starts praise be. And Zechariah, the name, actually means Yahweh has remembered. And let me pause. Your expectation... The thing that you've longed for, the thing that you crave, desire. Not, I'm not talking about the fleshy stuff. I'm talking about the good wholesome bits and pieces. Where you felt a sadness and you've carried a sadness through your life. Yahweh has remembered. Yahweh has remembered. If you want to follow the backstory to this song, go to Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read it directly, but I will be referencing this. So feel free to go there just to make sure I'm not like making up... <laughs> Sections of the Bible that aren't really there. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to be between verse 5 and 25. This is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, these two characters in the Bible, they had no kids. The Bible mentions that explicitly, they had no children. Culturally, having no children was a sign 
of lacking God's favour. That's the way they were perceived by the people around them. And that's why the Bible makes a point of saying they were godly, they were good. The Lord looked at them and he was pleased with what he saw. There's nothing wrong with these two. This couple, they're fine. They just don't have kids. They were noted as righteous, they were noted as blameless in God's sight. Even when it seemed that the evidence pointed at completely elsewhere. It's really important, you know, when we see these little details in the Bible, they're there for a very specific reason. But Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was the descendant of a, a heritage of priests. So they're godly people. They have function, they have purpose. And every, uh, every year, each division of priests, so there, there were divisions, different, different collections of priests, they would serve in the temple twice every year. And this was Zechariah's turn. It was one of his turns to be there. His division was serving in the temple. And one of the things that was bestowed upon him was the honour to go into the temple. Only one person a year could do this. And he would go into the temple and he could light the incense and burn the incense. That was an honour, a privilege. That was not given to people who were deemed to be not godly. So for all his circumstances, he was a godly man. And while in this place... An angel called Gabriel appears at his side and tells him that his wife is going to be pregnant, that they will have a son who will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb and that he will grow up in the spirit and power of Elijah and that they should call him John. Here's the thing. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were old. They were old. They were estimated to be in their 70s or 80s. If you're in your 70s or 80s, please just ignore that little bit. Right? <laughs> they were old. <laughs> Can you imagine what's going through Zechariah's head at this moment in time? Like, Gabriel, this angel, appears, woo, connects to him with all his wings and all his glory and says, Hey, Zach, you're going to have a kid. And Zechariah's like, are you joking? Can you imagine what his first conversation would have been when he got home? Hey, Liz. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> like, I, I can't even get this through my head. How, how did that go down? Naturally, Zechariah is a little bit perplexed. Uh, and in his disbelief, who could blame him? Because this is an old guy with an old wife who's just been told they're going to have a boy. And so he says, how could this be? But because he doesn't accept and believe the words of Gabriel, he completely loses his voice. Primary obedience isn't about doing, it's about believing. And sometimes, if we fail to fully believe, we stand to lose our voice. It's not a salvation thing here. It's not that if you don't fully grasp it, you're out. That's not what is being said here. What is being said here is the same as Jesus says to the churches in Revelation, your lampstand, your lampstand will be taken. In other words, your light, your effectiveness, the, the radiance that you have, the ability to be a witness, the ability to speak words of life, your voice becomes quieter. Now, if that sounds like punishment, actually it's not. It's this. If you believe, your voice follows it. If you really believe, 
in Jesus, that God raised him from the dead. If you really believe in who he is, your voice follows that. Your actions follow that. The way you behave follows that. Everything that you do follows that. If you really believe. Show me a believer who's never matured in 50 years. Honestly, it's not my place to ask the question. It's not my place to ask the question, uh, are they saved or not? But it is my place to ask the question, do you believe what your words claim? Do you believe what your words claim? Primary obedience is not about doing, it's about belief. Here's where I think it gets really real here. We're a Pentecostal church that we expect to see the Holy Spirit moving in power as we meet together, that we expect to see gifts of the Holy Spirit, even like the, the, the talking in tongues, prophesy. We expect to see these things taking place as we meet together. But I tell you the truth. I've been to some Anglican churches. I mean, Anglican churches. I'm joking, I like the Anglican church. But, um, I've been to some Anglican churches that don't have that heritage and DNA, that have been more open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, more free, more confident. Guys, we need to reclaim our heritage with courage and passion. Because if we, if we fail to act on our belief, we lose our voice. We lose our voice. When Zechariah leaves the Holy of Holies, Everyone who's outside recognises that he can't speak, so they just improvise some sign language. He's not learned sign language. He hasn't been to sign language school. But suddenly, here he is, he can't speak. So he's trying to communicate with them what has just happened. I mean, I, I don't know what that would look like, and I haven't got time to really speculate. But that's it for the next nine months. He doesn't utter a word. He just has to write things down. Or gesture. And then the baby's born, and Elizabeth confuses everyone by saying the boy's name is to be John. And, and the people around say, no, no, his name should be Zechariah, because it's Father Zechariah. Kind of like Eddie, and then Ed as well, you know, there's that, there's that passing on, there's that tradition of passing on a name. And that was what was expected here. But she was trying to convince the people around, no, no, it should be John. And this, this is the moment where Zechariah puts his belief and his words into action. And he says, well, he writes down, his name is John. Mm -hmm. As soon as he connects his heart with his words, his voice is back. Yeah. If you've lost your voice, don't fret. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling some form of weight of conviction, just, just pause a second, because firstly, God doesn't bring guilt. He might bring conviction. Mm -hmm. Conviction is meant to bring freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're feeling guilt, discard it. Throw it away. Don't want it. If you're feeling conviction, there's such good news here. Because all you have to do is let your actions and your voice follow what you believe. The song. Luke 1, 68-79 says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and has redeemed them. He's paid for them. He's brought them at a price. He's brought them back from the dead. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. That is redemption right there. Brought them into a place from where there was no life into a place where there is life. Even the same thing is seen in Elizabeth's womb. A womb that was dead to life. And then Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, raises life. 
in her womb. God brings things to life that were once dead and calls out of the grave what was once wrapped up in smelly grave clothes. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago. The horn of salvation is a symbol of power, and this is about a rescuer who is powerful enough to take our sins, to take our unbelief upon himself. Powerful enough that he was bruised, that he was pierced, that he was striped for us. Powerful enough to defeat death. Powerful enough to defeat sin, the horn of salvation. Powerful enough to place every orphan into a family, to bind up the brokenhearted. Is that you today? Are you feeling like an orphan? Like you don't fit, like you don't belong? You belong here. Let the power of Jesus raise you into that. Are you brokenhearted? He has the power in that horn of salvation. He has the power to bind up that broken heart and bring healing. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Showing mercy to our fathers. That's amazing. Because what Zechariah is talking about is the people who are stubborn, faithless and rebellious. And God is showing mercy to them. This whole thing is not a new concept. God is making good on what he's already promised. Because he made promises thousands of years before to this guy Abraham and said, I will bless your family. And not only that, everybody, everybody in the world will be blessed through what comes out of your family. God is good for his promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And his promise is to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Come on. You've been utterly rescued from all enemies that once held you in that utter fear. What is there left now to fear? Sin has been defeated. Death has been destroyed. The consequences that were once a heavy weight around your neck have been put upon Jesus so that you can go free, so that he can call your name and you can run out of that grave. And now Zechariah, this last bit, turns his attention to his newborn and he prophesies over him and he says this, and you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. I love that last bit of Zechariah. It's actually quite fitting. It's like... Ian, Ian, feel free to keep him in, it's fine, yeah, I'll just speak like that, it's fine. Um, I love that last bit of Zechariah because he's quoting directly from the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. After that book, God is silent for 500 years. And Zechariah links that whole passage straight in, the son of righteousness will rise. That's Jesus. Not the son with a U, but the son with an O. The son of righteousness is here. 
with healing in his wings. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, that's going to change the way that you live, even from this moment on. Because you've been carrying stuff. All of you, in some way or another, you've carried something. Some hurt, some pain. For some of you, that's very physical. For some of you, that's very emotional. For some of you, it's been locked in for so long that you think it's almost impossible, if not actually impossible, that that thing could ever get dealt with. The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. He has the power. He has the power. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that God will take the misery and literally erase it like it never happened. You know my testimony. You know, those of you who've been here for a while, you know what I grew up with. My sister Anna's here today, and she could say exactly the same stuff, probably far worse, because she saw much more than I saw. Such pain to be carried, such brokenness to be carried. And yet, God doesn't go, that's gone. He goes, I'm going to take that and I'm going to turn that into something beautiful. That's the power that Jesus has. You, you had Margaret's testimony just a couple of weeks ago. Such pain. And yet, look at what God has done. Look at how he's taken that and made it into something beautiful. No, he never erases that pain. You're going to have that. But what he's going to do is he's going to come alongside and bring healing alongside that. So that that pain doesn't consume you. So that pain doesn't define who you are. Because the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. And it's belief in him that's what defines who you are. God has remembered your pain God has remembered your heartache. God has remembered your hurt. God has remembered your suffering. God has remembered your hopes and your dreams. The things that never materialised in your life. He's remembered them. He's remembered them. And he's going to be faithful to his promises. Look, if you, all you ever wanted was to be an astronaut, well, maybe that ship has sailed. Okay? Maybe God's not going to say to you, like, I'm suddenly going to make you that thing that you wanted to be 50 years ago. But what he will do is he'll come alongside and they'll say, let me show you something even better. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings? He will show you mercy even when we've been stubborn, silent, lost and faithless. He will still show you mercy. Praise be. That's what this song is about. He is redeemed, rescued and delivered and saved. He has raised strength and power in your life. So that you can serve him without fear and prepare the way for him in your community, in your life, in your family. Primary obedience is not about doing, it's about believing. But then believing becomes the transforming force. And as I wrap up, let me just demonstrate this because I think there's, there's two things here that there's the belief and there's the confession. The belief always comes first. The belief always comes first. Because otherwise you're just speaking out of words. You're just singing lyrics of the song. You might as well sing, I did it my way, by Frank Sinatra, for all that would matter. Okay, because what comes first is belief. And then you bring your words into line. And then you move forward with belief. And you bring your words into line.
when I say words, I'm not just talking about what comes out of your gut. I'm talking about how you live your life, how you behave, how you change, how you allow God to change you. Belief. Action. Belief. Action. If you're stuck, if you're stuck, put a foot forward. Just put a foot forward today. Just step out in belief and let, even if you have to drag it, even if you have to pull your leg and bring everything with it to get that speaking, get that communication to catch up with your belief. And sometimes, sometimes, speak it first and let your heart follow it. Sometimes, speak it first and let your heart follow it. I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy from many, many years ago who said, that in everything we do, we should evangelise. And if necessary, we should use words. Do you know, I think we should always use words. So, sorry to shoot down that guy who's much more intelligent than me and definitely older than me. Um, our words always follow, but sometimes those words are non-verbal. Sometimes it's just how you live your life, how you carry yourself. That's the evidence of where you've put your belief. Can we just stand together, guys? And have a